Former U.S. National Rugby Team Captain. Team Captain. Head Coach and General Manager. General Manager. Now, the co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Now. Now. Full Contact CEO with Alex Magleby. Hey, Full Contact CEO today. I am your host, Alex Magleby. I'm also co-founder and CEO of the inspirational New England Free Jacks and Heritage Sports Ventures. Joining us today is Ross Young in between all his press duties now that the U.S. has the World Cup of 2031 and 2033 on the men's and women's sides, respectively. Ross is the CEO of USA Rugby and has been leading the bid for USA Rugby's process to host the World Cup. Involved with the business of rugby for over 20 years, included time with the famous Harlequins of London, as well as 11 years as the general manager of the Rugby World Cup. Most impressively, he was a member of the Metropolitan Police for 14 years prior to his rugby commitments. It's great to catch up with Ross today on such an exciting day and an amazing announcement for the sport in North America. Ross, thanks for joining us today. How are you, buddy? Yeah, great. Great. Exciting times. It is crazy. It scares me. I'm scared. I'm nervous. What's about to happen? Let's walk through it. No, it's... Uh, we get the World Cup. Now what? We get the World Cups, Mr. Magleby. That is plural, 31 and 33. Absolutely. I mean, we've obviously been through a pretty arduous process and it's... Uh, but it's been... It's actually been quite refreshing in a number of ways. I think having delivered a very strong case around operational and technical capabilities about what we can do, utilization of fantastic facilities and and then it was really well what that's great and but we want more than just putting together 48 games across a six-week period or whatever format that we decide on to run the tournament it's how do we maximize the opportunity in using that as the anchor if you like to do what we all want to do and put the game where it belongs on the sporting landscape in the u.s what are our KPIs for successfully delivering 33 and 31? What is, what does our future look like? End in mind, what is success? I mean, you've got to go back to the basics, Ali. I think that what our core, our core mission is as an NGB is to have as many registered players, coaches, referees, administrators as possible and have our national teams performing at the highest level. And, you know, there are huge numbers of individual KPIs, if you like, that flow off those. So but those have to be the key criteria. And I think engagement, working with stakeholders like the MLR, um, you know, there's such good work going on in, in various pockets. Well, how do we pull everyone together to pull in the same direction to you know, to open as many doors as possible. And I think, you know, you and I have talked about this for, for years about the pyramid or the funnel or the pipeline or, you know, the, the wider and stronger a base it is, the, you know, the better opportunities you've got. I just come off an interview with ESPN and the Times and they're, you know, they ask great questions. Like, well, there's been opportunities before, you know, the, the game at Soldier Field against the Eagles, well, that was going to be the catalyst. Then, you know, the World Cup sevens in San Francisco was going to allow things to kick on. And 
great individual events, but how can you kick on when you've got no foundations to build on, on, on the back of it? And, you know, we now have the MLR, the WPLs having one of the best seasons it, it's had, you know, we, there are opportunities, there are far more high school programs than before, but still far from enough. And we've got to take this opportunity to raise the bar, raise the awareness and have the outlet for people to play the sport at all ages, shapes, and sizes. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, on the MLR side, yeah, $60 million being invested a year to, to grow rugby in this country, commercial model that has a participant participation piece to it um, not the core of it obviously that's that resides with the ngb starting with 33 we now have 11 years to have a successful 33 world cup on the women's side to win it on the field and win it off the field there is a scholastic model in the united states that's starting to really germinate in terms of the ncaa initiative which is historically the producer of more Olympians than any other country. You know, we've, you know, on some, some summer Olympics produce 50% of all medal winners come out of the NCAA or have had time in the NCAA. Fantastic. There's a, still a piece potentially then missing between that and, um, you know, professional, uh, a national team dominating. There's that gap there of professionalism of the women's 15s game. What, um, thoughts are in place or momentum in place to kind of close that gap? So I think full acceptance, and there are a number of lessons to be learned on there that, that, that we've looked at collectively for years around what soccer did about title line, about driving the women's initiatives first, as you say, for 33, um, you know, the more competitive that becomes, the more talent comes in, you know, predominantly us talent, but it's going to attract overseas talent as well. Um, you know, does that then feed into a more robust version of the WPL that's better funded, that hits those criteria, I think, and you know, it, it's not just the U S it's right and the world money makes the world go around, Alex, isn't it? And we, we have to invest wisely. We have to use what dollars we can create to, to make things sustainable. We all, it's easy to spend money, isn't it? But. It, it's not so great to get that return or it's not as easy to get that return of investment. And I think, you know, you can, you can argue in a number of ways and again, had great discussions this week about it, that, you know, the potential for the women's game is there because it's just newer, you know, forget, and it doesn't have the same politics around it. It doesn't, you don't have the same, you know, the same, it, restrictions if you do in some areas about if you've got to break down existing structures in the men's game there are i'm talking globally here there's broadcast deals in place there's commitments that's been made i think that you know and you've seen that move much quicker globally with the women's game with the the pacific four going to happen that's going to be the rugby championship of the women's game there's going to be the crossover games of the six nations and then all that all that will all that will feed it and i think you know, for me, it's that structure is probably easier to pull through, but is going to require the right investment. And, you know, I think how we pull that money together, you know, like, like everything, if you're selling something, you have to have some, you have to have something to sell. And I think that's been one of the frustrations that, that I've had. There's, there's yeah. no assets, no inventory. Yeah. No. yeah. And you know, you, 
you knock on a door, it, it's relatively easy to open doors with, in, in a, you know, when you mention rugby and you, you mention the interest and the awareness, but you know, as you say, when you haven't really got robust inventory at sale and regular, you know, regular inventory that, you know, the right times a year, you're not going to do that. And I think, you know, we can put that in place, which will allow the bar to be raised on a number of fronts for 33. Well said. Speaking of investment, you know, as, as we work taught the world, it's, uh, having investment is one thing, knowing where to spend it is, is entirely different. Uh, potentially this opens up a door for a lot of additional investment into rugby in this country, both at the commercial level and the participatory level. How is that going to be determined the spend so that it can maximize the potential of these world cups and, and the KPIs of, of the national governing body? I think it's a great point and it's, it, it's exactly the next stage of work we had to do as we opened up there. There's, there's been lots of compliance. There's been lots of technical operational. Can this happen? There's been lots of broad theory about let's build, you know, let's build a fund and then let's execute against the plan. But we haven't done that. That, that is the next stage of work is sitting down with, with world rugby, who are going to be a key partner in this, you know, with the MLR, they're already meeting scheduled for June with world rugby coming over um to 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 kick those on and i think that's you know, that ultimately is going to be the next phase of the process is you know what's there what's tangible and you know and and how how you're going to prioritize if you like based on that return of investment that we just talked about what what's the best use of that money to gain you know to tick the boxes and move on to the next ones and you know one of the big one of the, the biggest aspects of it is how how we then unite everyone behind that plan. Um, nobody's got enough money if, if to do what they ultimately want to do, and in fact, a lot of people have got no money at all. So, how do we use this in a way that does get everyone put in the same direction? Because you know, they're not being around the bush. It, lots of elements of rugby in this country are, are fractured, overly political, individual agendas instead of just putting it all, you know, behind you for the greater good of everybody. So, you know, folks, Ross, 11 years instrumental in rugby world cups as general manager, 2003 to 2011, that included the France world cup, 2007, that was over 2 million spectators. I mean, France is a traditional country of, of rugby and near other countries of rugby tradition. Uh, for the our 31 World Cup plans, looks over 3 million um, spectators, which is massive and fantastic. Ross, how do we get to that number? <laughs> Listen, I, I, I've, I've mentioned it to a few people. It, it's, it, it's creating that point of difference around, you know, what is a major event compared to just 48 matches of sport that are tagged together, telling the story, building up the expectations and creating an experience that, you know, the American sporting public does well with tailgates and parties and organizing it and, you know, fan zones, fan festivals, music, entertainment, the, that whole consumer experience. It, it's, it's interesting that, as you said, having been there, I think one of the hardest sells of a world cup was in New Zealand. Um, and. The reverse was true there because you had 
people used to watching a very high level of rugby at all levels. And I remember going around the country trying to tell the story, explain the point of difference to the public. Well, what do I want to go and watch, you know, Romania versus Uruguay for, you know, that that's not, that's not as good as an NPC game, you know, that I've got no interest in that. And yet that engagement happened and that has to be part of the education, Alex, is be there, be part of it. We have to make, you know, I think in utilizing the biggest and best venues, you create an experience in that venue that people want to access, but potentially a much cheaper price than than an NFL game, regular season NFL game for some of those games that technically are seen as the smaller games within the tournament. And that's something that worked incredibly well in France for those big figures is there were large numbers of tickets sold to communities at the right rates that brought groups of people along that were part of it. And you create the viral aspect on the back of it. And I think, you know, if you're precise with elasticity testing around ticket pricing within the right area, incentivizing people to come along, incentivizing communities to support why your city is going to be better than the next city and what, you know, in what you deliver for the, you know, the, the world, the rugby world that's going to come on your doorstep, create that, that sense of pride, which again is phenomenal in, in America from a regional perspective, not just from a country perspective. And and you know it's eminently achievable as far as i'm concerned yeah like if you think that domestically two-thirds of those audience can come from domestically either ones that are developed via things like major league rugby for the next nine years uh, and other initiatives and then given america the country of of other countries right um which, yeah. like the 94 world cup which is very cool is there a chance um you know what, what are your thoughts if if this doesn't happen or this gets revoted on or something changes um how do, how do we continue to move forward so i mean we're less than 24 hours away from a ratification and i think the the danger of it not happen is has been minimized by the process that's been run and it might sound too tedious and boring but having started out this process in the old traditional way and gone to a managed service the the decision was was agreed in principle in November, which is why we went to this targeted dialogue phase to, and that targeted firewalls was that last phase was there to ensure the final elements of compliance, which have been completed. Um, so I think it, the big encouraging thing for me is the expectation is from everybody here in Dublin that tomorrow it, it that's going to be, it. it's going to be more of a celebration of an awarding rather than a, a vote about whether it's going to happen or not. And, you know, had a, some great meetings in London at the end of the last, <clears throat> of the last week with the, the, the 10 nations outside the top 10, if you like, about how do we build this? How do we use this opportunity to create annual competitions that are of the right structure that allow us to build making more competitive games on a regular basis in the existing windows. So the fact that we're, that we're talking about doing that and we're, everyone is incredibly excited about the opportunity, but not just about the tournament, about how it can be a catalyst for all the other things that we've been going around in circles with, with a number of years that, you know, for the, an event to come to the U S in 33 
and having blowout games of huge numbers is not going to do the world game good or the growth of the game in the US. So right. the fact that they're talking about doing that now and because it's here and because we want to put our best foot forward in the biggest sports market in the world, we want to make it the best experience for everyone. And, and everyone wants to buy into that from now, which is awesome. Yeah, and Ross, you've done so well leading us to this point and making sure that the process was buttoned up and that we had a chance. And um, now that we, we've got it, uh, the World Cup, champagne will flow for a day. You wake up the next morning, you know, and it's certainly very exciting. But what is the kind of oh shit thought or the challenge thought? <laughs> I, let, I think... I think you're right. We need, we need to reflect. We need to look at the opportunity. I think the crikey, we've got it now. What is going to happen next is, is using this is not trying to go too fast, too quickly in this first year. And we've touched on a little bit earlier is let's build the plan that, that gets everyone engaged. I mean, the, the strap line behind this whole project is united by rugby as you, you've seen. And I think, you know, that's probably more difficult to do than the complexities in the bid, to be honest with you, um, yeah. which is a bit scary. So that, that is the, we've got it now. Everyone thinks this is going to be the North star, the anchor behind a plan, which I firmly believe it is, but you can't just put it out there and it's all going to happen organically, is it? So it's the, yeah, like now we've got to do it is, is building out that plan, which gives us the opportunity to be, you know, sustainable, self-sustaining growth market that we, that we feel we need to be, to be able to use this opportunity properly. And reflecting, uh, when we received, when the Olympic announcement happened, uh, you know, monumental moment for rugby in this country, potentially, and perhaps we weren't, you know, having been a part of it on the other side, on the USA rugby side, we weren't on top of that announcement in terms of every high school athletic director in the country getting a, a letter saying this is now an Olympic sport. Right. And I think that, you know, for our staff here uh, in new England is making sure we're totally prepared to then have the one-on-one -on -one conversations with the non-rugby public. Uh, Cause whether, whatever happens in the next nine years, it is still going to be fan one fan at a time. There's no question. It, it is by the, we, you know, what we also want to do, Alex, is build the plans out around this next decade of sport, which is hosting the soccer world cup, the Olympics and the rugby or two rugby world cups, but the rugby world cups within a six year, seven year cycle. That's, and you know, we've already started having those discussions about how, almost how we can help each other to create this period, which is going to be phenomenal awesome. in general in, in, in the U S so. You're right that, you know, and I think, you know, we're fortunate to be at the end of that, if you like, um, and allow more of that ground to be broken around, uh, you know, around the whole, you, you know, what's, what's going to happen with the FIFA the world cup and the, and the Olympics. And I think the, you know, what a lot of Americans won't understand is that you know, some of those criteria you look at when you grade major events is physical attendances and the overall attendance in soccer world cups higher because there's more games, but the average spectator per game in a rugby world cup has been greater than the average attendance for soccer for the last couple of editions. So, 
you know, and that's, you know, that doesn't happen by accident either, does it? So I think there's the, the scalability for sure. And as you say, what we don't want to do is do all this work, but not have retention plans and not have that, that infrastructure there. So we don't, we don't waste the opportunity. Yeah. So it's not just rugby in a bag for school PE, but then there's no actual competition for those students who want to continue to play and learn the game and all of those pieces. And, and then they can't connect to a, a college and an academy and a, a professional game that feeds them to the national team. Um, all, all, all pieces that are starting to come together, but this certainly has the opportunity to, to help connect those dots brilliantly. Ross, I know you're super busy and you've sandwiched us between ESPN Times and every other global publication. So last question, if, if you were running the Free Jacks today, what would you be focusing on? Listen, I think you guys do a fantastic job because I think you're already doing it. To me, it's community engagement and building it and one fan at a time. I think that was, you know, having been around America and spoke to various people that have made corporate successes, the Starbucks was, that was their line, wasn't it? Initially one coffee at a time, one coffee at a time. Let's get, you know, and I, I think, so I urge everyone that's involved to do is just not, you know, it's a, this is a long game, you know, and I think this, the North star, if you like, that we mentioned earlier is there now, but let's, let's do it, but let's do it in such a way that, you know, don't crease full expectancies, full storms. Let's just make it one new fan, one new player, one new referee, one new coach at a time. And, and it has to be community-based. It has to be around your area. You have to have that connectivity almost on a day-to-day basis. So. To me, I think you've already started doing that and you just continue to grow that. And it's the more fans will ultimately become the more consumers, which will, which will give us all the results that we want. That's brilliant, Ross. Thank you. And thank you for, you know, leading this effort and um, congratulations. It's an epic time in the history of the game in the United States. Uh, very much looking forward to continuing the work that really starts now. Yeah. Uh, which is 100%. And Ross, how do people get a hold of you? Do you have, do you have uh, social handles? Do you um, how do you best how do people best communicate with you? Are you like a, a big Twitter? I don't even, you have an account, I think, somewhere. I, 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 somewhere I, I, on social media, somewhere you do. Well, I think you know, like all like all NGBs or international federations, it's uh, you know it's sometimes hard to differentiate personal feelings between speaking on behalf of an organization which has to answer so many different people with so many different diverse views. So I think the, uh, yeah, I do get on social media, but as you said, by all means, my, you know, people, individual concerns, I honestly think that from my view, be it social media, be it from anyone, it's, I don't have the luxury of having that direct connectivity. And I think part of that, especially a country, the size and scale of the U S is we need people like you, Megs, and out there that with that day-to-day stuff and creating more of the, you know, more of the family that that, that will build and do things with the boots on the ground. So, uh, you know, by all means, feed it through. But buying into this overall plan is what's going to be important. Yeah, well said, Ross. How good that is! Just fantastic. Just congratulations. It's um, it's a game changer. But really, the work starts now, and everybody out there. So good. Thanks for tuning in and thanks for listening to the latest episode of Full Contact CEO with USA Rugby CEO, Ross Young. Stay tuned for a slate of exciting guests in the world of sports, business, and of course, rugby. 
Don't forget to subscribe, comment, and make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter for all the latest updates. Be well. Talk soon. Thank you.